Boy, I like that, don't you? All right, let's open to the book of Daniel, chapter number one this morning. Daniel, chapter number one, had this message on my heart uh, for about a week now, and uh, I like those kinds of messages. Now, that's not to say there aren't times when the Lord changes the direction that you're wanting to go at the last moment. He does that, but uh, I kind of like it, you know, a good sermon's like a good good pot of coffee. you got to let it percolate for a little bit. And uh, that sometimes if you take it off the eye too early, she's weak. But if you'll let it percolate and soak a little while, uh, a lot of times there's a little bit more strength to it. So I, I hope this will be a blessing to you this morning. Daniel chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. I want to underscore that. Read it again. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And that word pulse just denotes vegetables, things that grow from the ground. It says, Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter, somebody say amen, in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. 
As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Thank you for being patient with me in that lengthy reading. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before Your presence and we're conscious of Your presence. Lord, I want to thank You for meeting with us the way that You already have. Lord, I pray that we would not just be blessed this morning, but burdened for the souls of others. Lord, not just that we would uh, get excited, but that we would be changed for Your glory and Your honor. Help us, Lord, as we hear the perfect law of liberty and look into it to be changed. And, Father, that You would draw us closer to Yourself and make us nearer to Your image. Lord, I pray if there's one amongst us that's lost without Christ, and if they're without Christ, they are lost this morning, Lord. I pray that You would show them uh, their sinful state and show them the Savior's love. God, I pray if there's one backslidden, You'd reclaim, draw them close to uh, to Yourself again. Father, anything that's accomplished today, it'll be accomplished because You did it. And we'll be sure to give You the praise, honor, and glory, Lord. We love and thank You for it. We ask it in Christ's high and holy name. Amen. I want to take notice once again in verse number 8 of the phrase that's used. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. And this morning I want to take just a few short moments and preach to you a message on a purposed heart. I want to tell you this morning, church, if you're going to stand in this wicked world, you're going to have to do it on purpose. If you're going to serve God in this world that we live in, you're going to have to do it on purpose. The devil will make sure you don't do it on accident. In fact, we find that of these children of Israel that were in exile, the only ones that did stand were the ones that had purposed their hearts to do so. I believe we live in a day of casual Christianity. Uh, Can I get an amen on that? Some of you know that that's true. A day when as long as God doesn't interrupt our schedules, as long as God doesn't cut into our budgets, as long as God doesn't cut into our family time, we're satisfied to be a Christian. But the moment that we have to give something up, the moment we have to take a stand, the moment that sacrifice demands our dearest loyalties, we say, that's enough for me. I'm done. The truth of the matter is, anybody that's ever done anything for God has done it on purpose. Uh, old preacher Curtis Hudson used to say that nothing has ever been done for God with spare time and spare change. It takes sacrifice. It takes determination. That's not to say that we do it in the energy of our flesh. Uh, of course, we know it's not the arm of flesh. It's not by word, nor by, uh, but it's by the Spirit of God. Uh, we know that that's true, but the fact of the matter is this. If you're going to do something, you're going to have to purpose that that you're going to do it. You know, in many ways, when I see these uh, four young Hebrew men, and we do not know exactly how old they are, uh, when I see these four young Hebrew men, I see in many ways the same situation that the church is in today. We find that they were in exile. 
They were in a place that was not their home. A place that could never be their home. A place that to be comfortable within, they would have to change their convictions and standards. Can I tell you that today, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And you, my friend, if you're going to be comfortable in this world, you're going to have to compromise the Word of God to do it. You're going to have to disappoint God to be comfortable in this world. And to be comfortable, you're going to disappoint God. The truth of the matter is this. You and I, in many ways, we're children in exile. We have a heavenly Father. We have a heavenly home. We have the promises of God. We have His love letter. But don't fool yourself for one moment to think that this world is an eternal place. Don't fool yourself one moment to think that this world is a place of comfort for the Christian. Christ said that they hated me and they're going to hate you because they hate me. The Bible says, Yea, and all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The truth of the matter is any Christian that is worth his salt, or could we say any Christian that's living like salt is going to irritate this old world that we live in. I want to give you three things in a narrative fashion of this story, and I just want to touch on them, and I hope it will help you this morning. As I read this passage, uh, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar, and most of us are familiar with the story, had uh, sacked Israel and had taken uh, the treasures out of the house of God. Notice that it says that, that he put them in the house of his God. It doesn't say he put them in the house of God. It says he put them in the house of his God. You see, the Babylonian God was not the true God. Can I tell you that today that that region still worships a false God? Amen. And can I tell you that the God of Islam is not the God of the Bible and is no God at all? It's still a false God. He took the treasures out of the house of God and put them in the house of his God. Uh, Put them in the house of Baal, we might suppose. And uh, with them, he took these young Hebrew men. And the purpose of it was he was going to use them in his court, was going to train them in the way of the Chaldees. Uh, But I want us to just zero in on the plan that we see here. And if you're for alliteration purposes, if you're taking notes, we might say that we want to look at the plan of the heathen. The heathen always have a plan to try to defile God's people. Can I get an amen on that? This world has a plan to ruin your life. The devil has a plan to cause you to compromise the Word of God. Let me tell you something, neighbor. The Bible says we're not to be ignorant of the wiles of the devil. He's a smart fellow. He knows what he's doing. Now, he knows that his time is coming. He knows that his days are numbered. Uh, But he also knows what it is that can get to the depth of the human heart. This world has a plan. In the very same way, these heathens had a plan to defile the children of Israel. I want to say that the first thing that it took was to remove them from the place of their worship. You see, they knew they couldn't get the uh, they, that they could not get the uh, the Hebrew out of the children, but they could get the children out of Israel. They knew that as long as they were still in Israel, they could never change them. So the first thing to do was to get them out of God's country and into the world's country. Let me tell you what part of the problem is today. Let me tell you why we see so many young people falling by the wayside, because we try to take them to church and and unworld them. We try to take them uh, out of the world for about two, three, four hours a week, stick them in church, and expect that to change their lives. Let me tell you something. Every home failure is a family failure. And until we understand that our children must be immersed in the things of God, it's not enough to take them in for a booster shot on Sunday. 
It's funny that we give our children to the world for 40 hours a week while they're in public education, things of that nature. And I know there's a lot of good public school teachers, and I thank God for them, but anybody that's been around them knows there's a lot of rascals too. And anybody that's been around them knows that while there are some that believe in God, some that are good Christians, that the general purpose of public education is the indoctrination of our young people. I mean, listen, neighbor Karl Marx himself said that public education was necessary for the takeover of communism and for those ideals. It was necessary. That's the world that we live in. We send our kids away for 40 hours a week and expect to turn the tide with four hours of church. The plan of this world is to take the Christian out of the element of God's house and God's people and place him within the element of worldliness. Now you say, preacher, you're advocating that we be isolationists. No, no. I understand that we're to be in this world, but Christ said we're not to be of this world. And I promise you this, the home that has Christ as the center of it will be a happier home. The Christian life that has Christ at the center of it will be a happier Christian life. The purpose and design of the devil is to remove them. But I want to say, secondly, not only did he want to remove them, but he wanted to repurpose them. He wanted to take them from being servants of God and make them servants of his God. Don't you make any bones about it, friend. If the devil had his way, he'd have every one of your kids, one or two situations, either the biggest hypocritical lost as a ball in high weeds Pharisee that you've ever seen, or strung out on dope, selling their body, drunkards in the gutter. The devil don't take no prisoners. He tries to take bodies. He's not interested in leaving anything for you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your children, your grandchildren. Uh, Don't you trust him for one minute. He's wanting to take you from being a servant of God and use you for his purposes. You know the sad truth of it? There's a lot of good church-going people. And I use that language loosely. (laughs) There's a lot of good church-going people that serve the purposes of the devil a lot more than they serve the purposes of God. Let me tell you something. When When you claim the name of Christ, when you put that banner up, and you get out here in this world and you live like the devil and live like hell, you think you're doing God any favors by doing that? Let me tell you what happens. People see your life and they say, if that's a Christian, they ain't no different than me. If that's a Christian, they've not got anything I've not got. If that's a Christian living the way that they live, if their God's not big enough to change them, then their God's not big enough to change me. Let me tell you what a lot of people do, even in churches. Uh, You know, the longest thing in a church, everybody says the longest thing in a church is to preach your sermons. No, the longest thing in the church is some people's tongues. Amen? I'll tell you what the devil does. He takes a lot of people and uses them to plant seeds of discord, just little seeds of doubt just little seeds of problems, just a little whisper here, a little whisper there. How, did, how was it that Satan came in the garden, slinked up beside Eve to whisper something in her ear? Let me tell you what a lot of Christians do in this day that we live in. They've got all their ducks in the row as far as their public life. They get into the house of God and they tear up Jack with their gossiping, with their lying, with their cynicalness and bitterness and critical spirit. I'm not saying we don't need to be realists, but listen, haven't you ever heard this sometimes? You know, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. Ain't that right? You say, how come you preach then? I don't count for me. Amen. <laughs> Want to repurpose them. Take them out of, Bab- out of Israel. Put them in Babylon. Take them out of the Lord's service. Put them in Baal's service. I want to give you a, a third thing. I want to say that not only was the design to take them and to remove them, Not only was the design to take them and repurpose them, but the design was to take them and rename them. We see that these uh, four young men, Daniel is the only one that we know readily by his Hebrew name. 
but I'd have you to notice that even though they tried to change their names, God still called them their Hebrew names. But Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. And uh, Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach. And Mishael's name was changed to Meshach. And Azariah's name was changed to Abednego. But, you know, if you study the Bible, you'll find that names meant a lot more then than they do now. Uh, people name their children certain names because they like the sound of it for the most part. Now, and I'm not uh, being judgmental. You name your kids whatever you want to name them. It doesn't matter to me. But in Bible times, they named their child something significant. And that's why we see name changes taking place in the Bible so often. Because a name meant something. It taught them something. It attached something to their psycho uh, psychology. Let me get that psycho. I've known one too many people that was that way, haven't you? To their psychosis. It attached something to them. I'm not saying that it did anything supernatural. I'm merely saying when you hear your name all the time, uh, you know, it does something. You, you hear it. It means something. I remember when I was little, and I've told this story before, uh, so uh, if... if if you've heard this, I won't charge you for this portion of the sermon. Um, but I, I've heard the story many times when I was a young uh, child. I was in the bathroom getting into the sink uh, at the bottom. I was getting in there. And you know how little kids are. They just get up there, tear up everything they can. And so I was in there, and there was towels in there. And I was just grabbing every towel that I could. I was just a little bitty fella and uh, could barely talk. My sister is, is uh, 10 years older than me. She won't mind me saying that. Or if she does, she can't stop it now. So, uh, And so she was, you know, when you've got a sister that's 10 years older, that's mama number two. Amen. I mean, that's what they function as. And she took care of me a lot. And Mama was sitting there and she was working on something. And so uh, finally, my mom leaned back and said, Tracy. And she heard a little bitty voice behind her say, get Toby. <laughs> you see, I had heard that enough. <laughs> How many of you, your children thought their name was no for the first few years of their life? It does something. It puts something in your mind. What do these Hebrews names mean? Uh, we find that Daniel's name means God judges. They had tried to teach Daniel that God was a God that sees and judges things. The world took him and changed his name to Belteshazzar. Uh, that means he that layeth up treasures in secret. Let me tell you what this world tries to do. You try to teach your children that God sees and judges things. You know what this world tries to do? This world tries to teach your children that they can do things in secret and nobody's going to find out. What's the mantra now? What happens in such and such place stays in such and such place? Let me tell you something, neighbor. What happens anywhere, everywhere, and Almighty God sees it, everything that takes place. His eyes run to and fro upon the earth. He sees exactly what you do. They took Daniel and tried to change his identity. You see, he had been taught that God judges. They wanted to teach him God doesn't really judge. You can do things in secret. And we know why men do things in secret. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We had a young man here named Hananiah. Hananiah's name means Jehovah has favored. We try to teach our kids that if anything good happens in their life, it's because God's done it for them. Isn't that right? The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We try to teach our kids the reason you have the things, the reason there's a roof over your head is because God's been good to us. The reason you've got a mama and a daddy is because God's been good to you. The reason you've got clothes on your back is because God's been good to you. They took Hananiah, changed his name to Shadrach. The word Shadrach has the connotations of a king's servant or a king's messenger, the idea of royalty. They wanted to take Shadrach, who attributed all of his blessings from the good hand of God. And you know what they wanted to tell him? Tell me this isn't what we're hearing today. You deserve it. They wanted to teach him that the reason he had these nice things was because he was royalty. 
He deserved it. We've never lived in a more entitlement-centered society than we do today. There's a spirit of entitlement in this world. You say, oh, you're talking about welfare. You're talking about food. No, neighbor, I'm talking about an attitude that people have today that they are owed every little thing, and if they don't get it, somebody's got to pay. That's the world we live in today. I wanted to teach them that it wasn't that God was good to them, it's that they were so good. I'll tell you a good lesson to teach little ones. You ready? Boy, Dr. Phil's going to like this. You need to teach your little one that they're nothing but sinful dirt. Just sinful dirt. There's not a good thing about them. Uh, If they don't get saved, they're headed for a devil's hell. But you need to teach them that God loves them. That He sent His Son to die for them. That though this world may not think a thing of them, though in and of themselves there's no good thing in their flesh dwelleth, no good thing that there's a God in heaven that loved them enough to send His Son to die for them. They find their worth in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mishael's name means what God is. It deals with the identity of God. We try to teach our kids who God is. And can I say this morning, I don't think this will upset anybody here, but it don't much matter if it does or not. If there is one God, there is only one God. That one God is a triune God. Uh, There is not many ways to heaven. There is one way to heaven, and the Bible tells us what it is. I want to tell you, you ought to teach your kids and grandkids that. I mean, from a, from a little age, you ought to teach them that. I mean, the, before they can speak, you ought to be telling them, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. This world, I'll tell you what this world has tried to do. The devil is in the hijacking business. He hijacks everything. He can't create anything. He's a destructive being. He can't create anything, so he takes what God's created and tries to defile it. He hijacks things. And you know what this world has tried to do? It's tried to hijack uh, the ideal and identity of God and turn it into a relative thing. Uh, People say, well, I just don't believe that about God. Why don't you believe that about God? I knock on doors. I talk to people. I'll ask them, well, why do you believe what you believe? Well, I don't know. I just believe it. Well, that's a good answer, isn't it? What if you said, do you believe the sky is blue? They said, Yes, I do. You said, why do you believe that? And they said, well, I just reckoned it. But you know what? We live in a world that tries to teach that God is a relative being. He's whatever we want Him to be. They had taught Mishael what God was, and it was ingrained in His name. They changed Mishael's name to Meshach. The, the phrase Meshach means a force that draws. Let me tell you what this world's trying to do. It's trying to teach us and teach the children uh, and teach our grandchildren. It's trying to teach them that God is not a literal and defined being, but He's just a force that draws people. Something within you. Tell me, neighbor, I, I don't know about you, but if you watch any of the daytime programs at all, if you turn on Dr. Phil, and I guess they finally kicked Oprah off, thank the Lord, amen. Oh, boy, I upset somebody here, didn't I? I just felt somebody turn the air conditioner on. But uh, you can read her books if you want to. I'll stick with the book. Amen. But, uh, you know, if you read them, you know what they try to tell you? That God is just an energy and a drawing force within you. And that's what this pagan world is trying to teach our kids, that they are the source of God, and God is whatever they want Him to be. We find the culmination of all these in Azariah. Azariah's name means helper of Jehovah servant of Jehovah. They changed his name to Abednego. The word Abednego, the name Abednego, means servant of Nego or Nebo. He was a Babylonian fire god. And uh, he was also known by another name, Lucifer. And I'll tell you what this world's trying to do. We try to teach our kids, you need to grow up and be a servant of the Lord. This world tries to teach kids that they need to grow up and serve themselves and serve the devil. 
This world is in the business of trying to re-indoctrinate your children. Don't call me a conspiracy theorist. Open your eyes, neighbors, and look around. Look on the television. Look on the news media. Look in your public school textbooks and tell me this world is not in the business of trying to indoctrinate our children. Uh, This world calls us foolish for believing that God created this world in six literal days. And yet they'll turn around and tell our kids that one day a a bunch of nothing uh, ran into another bunch of nothing and nothing exploded and made something. (laughs) And then that something turned into everything. Does that make sense to you? I, I may have missed something, but I have trouble with that. You see, the truth of the matter is this world is in the business of trying to hijack your children. That's the plan of the heathen. I want to hurry, but we see the purpose of the Hebrews. Uh, You see, this is where it gets beautiful because God's children will always face confrontation and contention. Always, always, always. How are they to respond? I want you to notice that they had an unwavering determination. Daniel looked at the situation and said, I don't care what this world's doing. I am going to be obedient to the Lord. This world can go to hell if it wants to, but I'm going with God. This world can get worse and worse and worse if it wishes to, but I'm going to take a stand for my Lord. It says that he he purposed in his heart. Now, it's interesting to me. It doesn't say he purposed to do some great thing. It doesn't say that he purposed to go and, and confront Nebuchadnezzar and try to gain the freedom of his comrades. It just says merely he purposed that he would not defile himself. Let me tell you what makes a man a Hebrew. Uh, a Hebrew. <laughs> you know what makes man a Hebrew, amen? <laughs> but you eat enough of them kosher hot dogs. That's what makes you a Hebrew. Uh, let me tell you what makes a man a hero in God's eyes. It's not that he achieves some great thing. There will be men in this world that will achieve great things for God. And I thank the Lord for him. But what makes a man a hero in God's eyes is not that they achieve something great. It's not that their name is etched in stone and in gold and in marble. Let me tell you what makes a man a hero with God. What makes a man a hero with God is a man that will stand in purpose that he belongs wholly to the Lord and that this world has no stake and no claim on his life. A man that will purpose that he will not defile himself. It doesn't matter. People say things are changing. Yeah, we've got an unchanging God too. You say, people, just culturally things are so different. Yeah, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God doesn't change. His word does not change. We as believers ought not change. You say, oh, but everything's changing. Preacher, are you afraid of change? I'm afraid to meddle with them that are given to change. That's what the Bible tells me to be. I'm afraid of those. uh, That's not to say that things do not uh, morph and change in this culture, but I'm afraid when people start talking about changing my Bible. I'm afraid when people start trying to talk about changing what God's house ought to be. Yeah, I get a little upset about that. Don't you? Amen? We got quiet in here. I'm preaching all over somebody, and I don't know who it is. Uh, You might as well stand up and punch me in the mouth, though. We'll get it over with. The rest of us can worship this morning. We see an unwavering determination. We see an unusual diet. You see, the fact is, they, they weren't necessarily trying to give them anything that was intrinsically wrong other than the wine. But what it was, was Daniel had determined he wasn't going to take anything from that pagan king. So I'm not going to defile myself with what you're giving me. And so he ate a diet of pulse and water. Sounds appetizing, doesn't it? Some of y'all are going to go to Shoney's after church, get your big old bowl of pulse, amen? But uh, pulse just denotes anything that grows out of the ground. In other words, vegetables. Now, I don't believe God is a vegetarian, but uh, I do believe that in this scenario, you know what they were trying to do? In this wicked environment, 
They were trying to get a hold of something that hadn't been tainted by Babylonian hands. In this wicked environment, they're trying to find something that was pure. I don't think they were vegetarians when they lived in Israel. I don't think it was a problem with the meat. I think it was a problem with the environment that they were in. And you know what they said? We're just going to give what God, take what God gives us. Let me tell you what your kids need. Your kids, more than anything else, your kids need more Bible, more prayer, more preaching, more worship, more holiness, more separation. That's what your children and grandchildren need. They don't need the next newest thing. They don't need the next self-help book. They don't need to have their ego affirmed and their self-esteem bolstered. You know, this world tells us we have a self-esteem problem. You know, that is exactly opposite to what God says. This world says the problem is you don't love yourself enough. And God says no man ever yet hated his own flesh. I'll tell you what our children need. I'll tell you what our Christians need in this day. We need some pure food. Uh, we, we, need, we need some bigger doses of God's Word. We need some bigger doses of the songs of Zion. We need some bigger doses of fellowship with God's people. Some people would say we fellowship too much at this church. And I'd say there's the back doors. Amen? I like to eat and I like God's people. And I like to sit and I like to talk. I don't think there's anything wrong with fellowship. But we go out and we have fun. We went out Friday and, and went bowling and, and it was a dangerous expedition, but we made it through. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of fun. You know why we do things like that? Because our young people and our young adults, if they're not doing something with God's people, there's a good chance they'll be doing something with the devil's people. Let me tell you what our churches and what our children and what our Christians need. They need to be immersed in the things of God. They don't need... We, we live in a society that teaches you that your children need the next, newest, nicest thing. doesn't matter what it costs. doesn't matter what it looks like. doesn't matter how worldly it is. That's what they need to be happy. I'll tell you what they need to be happy. They need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We see an unusual diet and we see an unwavering deity. And that brings me to my final thing. And I'm going to hush. Some of you are all falling asleep and I'm, I'm about to as well. Um... <laughs> We see the plan of the heathen. And we see the purpose of the Hebrews. But I want you to see that we see the providence of a heavenly Father. The Bible says that after these ten days, this probational period was up, that sure enough, they were healthier than anyone else there. You raise your children on the Bible, they'll be the better for it. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And while that is absolutely, unequivocally true concerning spirituality, did you know that in some elements that's even true concerning our physical well-being? Uh, you've, li you've met people before, and I have too, that you could tell by the way that they looked they had lived a life of sin. The life of sin had been hard on them. You could see it all over their face. What they, you know, those young people really needed was more of God's Word. And because of that, they were healthier for it. Let me tell you something. We live in a world uh, that is unhealthy physically. We live in a world that's unhealthy mentally. We live in a world that's unhealthy spiritually, or might I say dead spiritually. And let me tell you what will help your kids more than anything is more of God in it. Uh, why do you think it is, neighbor? And I'm not trying to be insensitive. Oh, my, you know I'd never be insensitive. I'm not trying to be insensitive. Why do you think it is? Everybody says, oh, the problem with all these shootings is all these guns we've got. When you was growing up, did they not have guns? Sure they did. In fact, they probably had a lot more then than they've got now. You didn't have people walking into movie theaters killing 18, 20 people. You didn't have people walking into elementary schools 
killing 20 little kindergartners. I'll tell you, we live in a sin-sick world, church. The only answer for me and the only answer for you and the only answer for your family is to have Christ at the center of it. That's what makes a healthy person. We see that they were healthy, but we see that they were holy. The Bible says that they excelled in all of these various things in wisdom and in skill and understanding and all these things. God did a work in those young men's hearts. And I believe He did a work that He would not have done if they had scooted their tables under Nebuchadnezzar's, their feet under Nebuchadnezzar's table. God did a work in their life. And let me tell you what will make your children happy. People say, oh, what this world needs and what young people need. You know, uh, old-timey worship is good. Good for old people. But young people get bored with old-timey worship. No, uh, young people get bored with dead worship. <laughs> Amen? Whether it's contemporary or whether it's old-timey. Young people get bored with dead worship. It doesn't matter what the... It doesn't matter if you're shouting to the Lord or singing a doxology. They get, they get bored with dead Christianity. And they've had enough of it. They've had their fill of it. We ought to get our fill of it too, amen, and be done with it. Let me tell you what young people need to be holy. They don't need contemporary Christianity. They don't need praise and worship music. That's not what they need. They need to see that Christianity is real. And I'll tell you where they're going to see it. They're going to see it in you and me. I'll tell you why our children are not on fire for God because our adults are not on fire for God. I'll tell you why our children defile themselves with the king's meat. It's because we're scooting our feet under his table. That's why they do it. When they see us living for Christ, they'll live for Christ. When they see us doing the will of God, they'll be a lot more likely to do the will of God themselves. I want to give you a final thing. We see that they were healthy. We see that they were holy. But I want to say they were highly favored with the king. I know Nebuchadnezzar is not really a picture of Christ. But we find that because of their stand that they took, when they came in before the king, the king was pleased. Let me ask you something. One of these days, you're going to stand before the king. Do you want him to be happy with what you've done? You're going to hear those words one day, I hope. Well, I'd all long for them. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But not everybody's going to hear those words. I'll tell you the people that are going to hear those words, church. It's those that have purposed in their hearts not to defile themselves with the portion of the king's wheat nor, uh, meat nor with his wine. They were highly favored with the king. And I just kind of believe that Christians that still believe in separation, somebody, I'm, either I fell asleep or you did right then. Christians that still believe in separation and Christians believe in holiness and people that believe in dedicated Christian service. I believe they're highly favored with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords. I hope that this morning it's done something in your heart. But more than that, I, I want to hope that whatever God has done in your heart today, that you'll be obedient and respond to Him.